is the BearCast, presented by Bird Culture Ford. Bird Culture Ford has been in Waco since 1936. Ford is the number one selling truck in Texas, 43 years running. The BearCast is also presented by WellMed Medical Management and USMD Health System Dallas. Here's Craig Smoke and Grayson Grundhafer. And welcome in on this Tuesday, November the 14th, 2023. The Bearcast on Sikkim365.com. Also on the Baylor Athletics on Sikkim365 YouTube page. And if that's where you are watching us, either live Tuesdays at 11.15 or after the fact, if you would, please hit that subscribe button. Hit that like button as well. That would go a long way, and we do appreciate that. But however you are listening to us, welcome into another edition and uh, yet another edition this football season where we're going to be talking about an unfortunate outcome, although a style unto its own as Kansas State takes down the Baylor Bears this past Saturday by a score of 59-25 to in Manhattan, Kansas. So that's what we'll be diving into. Just a couple of games to go in the football season now officially as the bowl games uh, well, those are completely off the table. The opportunity to play in a bowl game, there will be no postseason, but there will be an offseason that starts very quickly and in some ways starts right now for this Baylor football team. Uh, so we'll dive into K-State. We'll also get into uh, just a couple of different football notes and then some basketball news as well as the hoop season is fully underway. And then the mailbag to close things on out. I'm Craig Smoke, Sikkim365.com writer, also 365 Sports host, and joined as always by Grayson Grunhafer, Director of Broadcasting for Sikkim 365. Got Garrett Ross behind the scenes as well, producing the show. And, well, Grayson, here we are again. Uh, and, you know, hopefully uh, we have some more positive things to talk about here in the last couple of weeks, but that is not the case today. As I mentioned, 59-25 Kansas State victors, number 25 team, um, taking down a Baylor team that now finds itself at 3-7 and seven overall. But uh, how are we doing this week? First things first, I guess. I mean, that, that was a really, really bad performance. And it's really one of those, I mean, it's another week where you're just sitting there and just kind of honestly like laughing about things that happened. In this game, it was just in particularly bad because of some of the things that we're going to talk about from defensive touchdowns to special teams blunders to just kind of everything that has gone wrong for Baylor pretty much all year just kind of snowballed and was kind of accumulated into one game. And so that was really, really tough to watch. Um, and then you listen to Dave Randa this week, and I, I mean, you know, I've been pretty steadfast and basically everything I've been hearing, you know, was basically like, oh, yeah, Randa's going to come back, it seems like. But I will say this week has been pretty eerie and something that I, I think has been a little bit different it might be giving me kind of a, a little bit of a different perspective on kind of what I feel like his job security is like right now. Yeah, it's that time of year for the coaching carousel. We've already seen Texas A&M make a big decision with Jimbo Fisher and other jobs opening up as well around the country, not to mention high-profile coordinator jobs now opening up across the country as well at big schools. And so uh, you do find yourself uh, wondering, you know, how involved Baylor's going to be. I think there's no question that there will be some changes, but to what degree are we talking, uh, you know, a coordinator? Are we talking position coaches? Are we talking the head coach? I mean, that is something that you at least have to broach because of where they're sitting right now. Um, I've been with you uh, as far as feeling pretty confident that he's going to be back. Um, but just last Saturday, that was a, a different type of tough pill to swallow because it was such a lopsided loss, and it really just – 
left you feeling like, man, they're just nowhere close to where they need to be right now. And how do they get there? And it's hard to see it the further and further you get down the line and the more the losses pile up. And, uh, yeah, in his press conference, he was openly talking about, um, you know, how Christmas season basically starts seeing those car commercials with the big ribbons. And that's really a sign of like, hey, somebody's getting fired here pretty soon. Mm-hmm. And that's a, you know, a horrible feeling. I would hate that every Christmas rolls around. I'm thinking about, you know, my buddies or myself getting fired, but that's the coaching profession for you. Uh, but then also just uh, in the postgame on Saturday, seemed like he was really at a loss for what had just happened and, and almost stunned by it, which is stunning and, um, you know, hard to imagine that you're too stunned when you get beat by 44 points or 34 points, excuse me. Um, you would think that you kind of saw that coming a little bit more than you, you acted but, afterwards. But it's been that way all year. Yeah, I know. It, yeah. It, they came into the year thinking like, no, like we're going to be good, right? And then it's like, yeah. you're nowhere near good. Like how, how could you have thought that you were going to be good with the way the season's gone? And it's like, you could convince me that you thought your team was going to be good if you're losing a bunch of games that are close. But, I mean, they've gotten blown out multiple times and multiple times at home as well. I mean, it's just it's been it's been a disaster of a season. Yeah, and I was I was startled by how stunned he was by the fact they got blown out because yeah. I thought it, the writing was on the wall. But then he just came across as a little bit more of a deer in the headlights afterwards, which was a little, uh, like I said, startling. Um, so there was that feeling after the game of just like they got hit by a bus that they weren't expecting, although everybody else was expecting it, and like kind of telling them like, "Hey, that bus is." <laughs> Rounded the corner. Yeah. (laughs) You better watch out. Uh, So there was that that was kind of odd. And then, yeah, yesterday during the Monday press conference, um, he was a little bit more, had some of that confidence back as far as the direction of the program and all of that. But it still just felt like, yeah, man, what's to come here? Um, what What is around the corner here? So, yeah, I mean, that's going to continue speculation about uh, changes, uh, including, you know, him uh, in the head coaching spot. Whether they're legitimate or not remains to be seen, but there is going to be that speculation just because of where they find themselves. So where is that? That's at 3-7 and seven now with two games to play. That's with a bowl game completely off the table, so they know these next two games are it as far as 2023. And up next will be hated rival TCU in Fort Worth on Saturday. We'll dip into that game, and then West Virginia at the end of the year. But here's where we find ourselves after Saturday. Uh, let's take a look back at that game, and then we can kind of re- set as far as what's uh, ahead. Um, So Kansas State in Manhattan, number 25 team in the country, uh, rolling into this one. And uh, for Baylor, still those slight hopes that you were going to be able to maybe win out and maybe, you know, find yourselves in a bowl game. But it was pretty quickly early on here, Grayson, that that was not going to be the case. So let's start with a 12-play, 81-yard drive that opened the game uh, as the home team made it 7 to nothing right out of the chute. And uh, it was... You know, one of those of like, okay, here we go. This is starting off with a bang here. So Kansas State right out of the gates, long drive. It's 7 nothing. but Baylor gets the ball, their very first uh, attempt, and they've not been good on their first drives this season, but they have the best drive of the entire year on offense, and I think it's pretty, you know, much unanimous that that's the case. Five plays, 72 yards. Uh, got a little bit of Dominic Richardson on this drive. Had a big reception by Drake Dabney. Uh, for 19 yards, uh, just we're taking big chunks of yardage on this drive. Uh, also had Josh Cameron get in on the action, D- uh, Dabney again, and then eventually it was Blake Shapin to Dawson Pendergrass for a 13-yard touchdown. So they had the initial run for about 15 yards and threw it around after that, and they find themselves in the end zone. It's 7-7 and was do- definitely not thinking that 
upset was in the wind, but felt like it was probably the best drive we had seen all year, and it was a very nice response on the road to uh, the opening score by the home team. Yeah, and we kind of got a taste of what was to come on both these drives. It was simply put, Baylor was not going to get any stops if Kansas State had third and two or fourth and one. Just not happening. It was not going to be on the table for them to get stops in that regard. And then on Baylor's drive, it was very clear that Baylor's wide receivers, um, I mean, as the game progresses, this was kind of, kind of an idea of what was going to happen where running backs, tight ends, making plays in the pass game, receivers, not so much. Yep, so uh, Dawson Pendergrass with the score, it's 7-7. to And uh, then Kansas State <laughs> takes the ball and just takes off with it here. I mean, that, that was it. That was as close as the game would be the rest of the way where them exchanging the opening drive touchdowns. Uh, K-State puts together an eight-play, 56-yard drive. They convert a third and seven. They convert a third and three. And then on second and ten, it is Will Howard to Ben Sinnott, a 14-yard touchdown. And that was... Um, a little bit of salt in the wound because he had such a big game last year and you leave him completely uncovered in the end zone who, you know, he's arguably, not arguably, he is their best option in the passing game and he is there by his lonesome for the easy score. It is 14-7 to and this is about to go off the rails here in a second. Yeah, and tough one on that third and seven because there's a pass interference, I believe, on Caden Jenkins. Yes, there was. Against a very mediocre wide receiver for K-State. You just, you can't have that happen. That was an opportunity for Baylor to get off field and get the ball back, but instead it leads to seven points for Kansas State and like you said, it's about to get a lot worse. It's why you gotta make plays when they're there and didn't make them on that drive, didn't make them all day. Yeah, football's a game of inches that Al Pacino said in any given Sunday, and it does ring true for this team in a lot of ways. And, you know, that was one of the things, too, Aranda was talking in the post game, uh, and also at the start of the week about, you know, execution, more so in the post game uh, than on Monday. I think by Monday it was kind of like it is what it is. But, um, you know, that, that is something that rings true is the execution piece, but at this point when you're 10 weeks in and you've lost seven of those games, it's just hard to keep hearing the same thing. You know yeah. what I mean? So uh, it's true. But, uh, yeah, you've got to get off the field on third down, and they're in these first two drives already giving up a whole lot of third downs, like a handful of third downs in two drives to start the game. So that was a sign of things to come, and that's why it was 14-7. to But it was about to get a lot worse as uh, you have uh, Baylor uh, driven uh, deep on the kickoff, uh, not starting off with very good field position. And then you have uh, Dominic Richardson start off the drive with a little two-yard carry. Uh, but then the second play of the drive, Blake Shapin drops back to pass, hangs onto the ball too long, gets drilled, fumbles, and Kansas State recovers it, uh, and they are in business and knocking on the door just like that, up 14-7, to and now with the ball at the Baylor, what, 15-yard line, uh, getting ready to... Uh, no, they got it at the two-yard uh, two line. Two-yard yeah. line, excuse me. Yeah, this play started at the 15-yard line, got it at the two-yard line, and so they were set up right there on the doorstep, and uh, it was going to be pretty automatic after that. Touchdown, Kansas State, and it is 21-7. to I'm sorry. Let, let's redo this. They returned that for a touchdown, that one. Okay. The punt that we're going to get to was at the two-yard line. Yes. So that's coming up here in a second. But, yeah, I mean, this was a tough play. Blake does need to get rid of that football. Um, but on the flip side, he got drilled. And, I mean, it, it's just really tough because he needed to hold on the football to make a play. And his receivers, for the most part, were not open all day long. And he takes a big shot, fumbles it, can't be turned the ball over. On the flip side, nobody's open trying to make a play, and you're on the road. Um, just kind of costly there. Yeah, so 
got all out of out of whack right here. So yes, they fumble the football. Blake Shapin gets uh, drilled, um, yeah. fumbles, and it was the scoop and score. Mm-hmm. Now we're getting back in order. Yeah, sorry. There's so many scores. It's hard to get out of control <laughs> here. So it's twenty-one to seven, right? With the scoop and score, fourteen. It's about to be 21. Okay, yeah, the way Fox lays this out, okay, I should probably go back to ESPN as far as the clarity of this. But, yeah, so they get hit, fumbles the football, um, and it's a scoop and score. It's 14-7. to Is that where we are here? Sorry. Let's do this one more time. Kansas State scored on their first two drives. Then the fumble happens, return for a touchdown. So it's 21-7, to like I said. Yeah, Yeah. okay, so it's 21-7. to We're back in order. (laughs) So it's 21-7 to after uh, the scoop and score touchdown. Baylor gets the football back. And it's a three and out, and now it's about to really get off the rails as uh, they go back to punt, and um, the exchange isn't good. Uh, Palmer Williams uh, can't corral it, and uh, it's a whole big mess. He gets tackled at the uh, Kansas State 22. Is that where we are right here? So I think he caught it. He gets drilled, ends up fumbling it, and they pick it up at the two-yard line, and they score on the very next play. Okay. So I remember it unfolding there. Yeah, tackle. This is all out of order. This is so strange. All right, I'm gonna have to flip over because that is just totally out of whack um, from the Fox side of it. It's got it like fourth and seven, and at the twenty-two, and uh, that's just not gonna fly as far as trying to do this in a concise order. So let me try to get. Um, yeah, so they the scored. They scored here. that touchdown at the two-yard line on first and goal. It was a pass from Will Howard to Christian Moore. Um, which, again, ballooned the score even more. Um, Baylor's going to get the ball back here, and now they're this trying is way to get, better. Are yeah. you back somewhat? Yeah, okay. so Desmond per- Purnell with the 15-yard fumble return makes it 21-7 to after, uh, uh, you know, Baylor uh, trying to uh, to get the uh, – or no, it's 21-7 to when Blake Shapin hits the uh, – it's all out of order. This it's is all wild, man. It's all out of order. Everything's out of order. But in general, it's the return for a touchdown makes it 21. Then the hit makes the hit okay. on Palmer. And then they score again to make it 28, I believe. And then Baylor gets the ball back. Um, but yeah, it's all out of it's all out of whack on yeah. this. So 14 to 7, it was Kansas State. Baylor got the football back, and then you had the 15-yard fumble return as Blake Shapin got drilled, so it was 21 to 7 there. Baylor gets the ball back, and then Palmer Williams goes to Punt? No, that's one more touchdown for Will Howard in between there. I guess. Good so lord! So another three and It's all out of order. It's okay. Yeah. So I don't know the way that this is uh, reading is, is so dadgum strange on here on on both of the uh, and I think it's because you had just the the way that it ends mm-hmm. the drives is all out of whack. So fumble return touchdown. It was twenty one to seven. Will Howard touchdown after uh, another bad Baylor drive makes it 28-7. Nine plays, 78 yards in three minutes and 46 seconds. Baylor gets the ball back uh, three and out, and then they f- do the fumble. Then it's Palmer. the Palmer Williams now fumble return. Okay. Now it's 35-7. to yeah, seven. Baylor so you, gets the ball back. Yeah, so now it's this uh, – sorry that this is all out of order, but the way that these uh, exchanges went down, it just got really weird really quickly. So basically it's 35-7 to seven just like that. Uh, Baylor gets the ball back, goes on a 13-play, 30-yard yard drive in 13 plays, takes over six minutes off the clock, uh, but eventually on a third and 10, can only get a three-yard pickup. It's fourth and 13, and they're going to have to punt again, and it is 35-7 to 7 at this point. So it is, uh, it is just completely off the rail. So at this point, let's just start there. Where, what were you thinking at this point in time? Well, I mean, the game's over at that point in time because there was no way Baylor was scoring 30 points in this game based on what I had seen. Uh, there was also no way Baylor was going to get very many stops. And quite frankly, uh, I told Garrett this when I walked in today and we talked a little bit. 
you know, if you would have told me that Kansas State was going to get four touchdowns, basically, from, you know, essentially, I mean, so you get the pick six, you get the fumble return for a touchdown, and you get the the punt fumble and score on the very next play, you get three touchdowns, 21 points from, I mean, just basically doing nothing offensively. I mean, I would have told you Baylor was going to lose by 40. And so that's basically what happened in this football game. And so, yeah, I mean, that, that's just kind of where it was. The luck wasn't on Baylor's side. The plays were being made by Kansas State, and it just felt like it was going to snowball. Yeah, so it is 35-7 to 7, just like that. And I apologize for not having that more in order, but it is hard to read off every website I've looked at to try to make it look concise. We haven't had a problem with that all year, but because of just the exchanges here, it was yeah. a little so bit out of whack. Yeah. yeah, so it was 21-7 to 7 after the first quarter. You had the 18-yard pass from Will Howard. You answered on the opening drive. Then uh, Ben sent it on a 14-yard touchdown. Then you had the scoop and score. And so it was 21-7 to 7 at the end of the first quarter. Second quarter, another Will Howard run. Christian Moore on a two-yard pass. It's 35-7 to seven after you've had just uh, mistakes galore. And then right there before the half, Dawson Pendergrass, a one-yard uh, pass from Blake Shapin as the Bears are able to score right there before halftime uh, to make it 35-13. to 13. They would get the ball back again, but uh, this was a short little drive. Three plays, 16 yards, and uh, uh, they were able to at least get on the board again, but uh, not able to convert the two-point conversion, which was a little head-scratching of why you were going for it to down 35 to 13, because I guess you would be within 30. I, I don't, or what was it, within uh, 19. 19, and I at that point in time, I'm not really sure why that mattered all that much, but okay, so they went for it and uh, did not get it, and so... Yeah, 35-13 to 13 was your score at that point. I do want to give a shout-out because Baylor was set up on that drive by a <clears throat> really nice return by Josh Cameron. Yes. And so that kind of led to them scoring this touchdown on this drive. And really, you know, 35 if they make the extra point instead of going for two. 35-14, you're thinking, okay, you're, you're still getting pummeled, but at least you got, you know, you got some momentum going into half. I don't know why they went for two. They, they go for two so often, and then... But it's the weirdest thing. But then the Houston game, you have a chance to win the game and you don't go for two. So it's kind of one of those, I don't know, it's just a weird weird thing. Weird situation going on there. But, yeah, I mean, scoring a touchdown before half was definitely nice, I think, for Baylor, even though you're down big. Yeah, so, I mean, it's uh, it's out of reach. But I felt like, here's the deal. I mean, as, as ugly as all of this got, they were still playing really hard. I mean, yeah. th- this was not a team that you thought when they got swarmed early on and it was like 21 to 7, it's 28 to 7, it's 35 to 7 and you feel like, "Oh man, this team's about like it's so early in the game. You're wondering how many points Kansas State's going to score at this stage." And so here they are and they're still fighting away. And I know that's not like totally reassuring for everybody out there, but it was something. I mean, it was something to see them still playing hard and you know, not looking to try and um, shine this up by any means. It was ugly. There's no way to make this look pretty, but there is that, that they were at least still out there playing hard, and this wasn't a team that had seemingly quit on their coaches or, you mm-hmm. know, were mailing it in at this point, and that was like as mo- as reassuring of a thing as you could see in a game like this at this point in the season for a team sitting where they are. Yeah, and then I loved how they got brave on the next kickoff as well. Um, kind of snuck in an onside kick there. They recover it, and that gives you an opportunity again, like, they get an opportunity. They created a chance for themselves, and they ran an awesome fake play, mm-hmm. uh, too, right before the half. Isaiah Hankins actually threw an absolute dime to Jake Roberts. Probably, I think 
If you asked Jake, he probably would have said he would catch that 9 out of 10 times. Um, But he drops it. Decent defense on it. But, um, again, if you kick that field goal, it's 35-16. If you would have you know, made the extra point, it's 35-17. But instead, they tried to get um, to gamble a little bit. Um, Didn't pay off. But, again, you're still playing hard. You're still trying to make plays and trying to make up the difference between the two teams by trick plays or just things like that. So they had the onside kick. They get uh, the ball and end up turning it over on downs, uh, right, unfortunately, because trick play. you go with the trick play with Isaiah Hankins trying to throw uh, the pass on fourth down and eight. Uh, So it's incomplete, and they were throwing everything but the kitchen sink out there at this point. I mean, trick plays, um, just trying to get something going. That was something Paul had mentioned. I was like, yeah, they're going to have to do more than that, but they definitely tried to do as much of that as possible to keep this thing going and keep their – you know, uh, hopes alive and, and keep the offense on the field. So, yeah, uh, can't get it going there on uh, fourth and eight. They convert, converted a fourth and four on that drive, uh, but that would end it right there. K-State would get the ball back and uh, would go three and out, and uh, that would basically close out the first half there. So a lot to digest from that first half. There was a lot going on, but it was 35-13 to 13, uh, at the break, and um, – yeah, the the writing was kind of on the wall here, uh, but those uh, you know the scoop and score uh, obviously was a uh, a huge play early on that it really kind of tilted the momentum and uh, and then it was just an avalanche uh, where you know you looked up and you were down four touchdowns in the blink of an eye, but uh, you know thirty five thirteen there at the half. Yeah, I mean they were outplayed in the first half, but they weren't outplayed by as much as the score said. I mean, if you really watch that game, I mean, yes, if you're gonna say. If they would have punted, Kansas State probably still would have scored. That's totally fine, but they wouldn't have scored as quickly as they did. I mean, those turnovers just led this to being a complete blowout at halftime. I mean, this game was over at the end of the first quarter, definitely over at halftime, down by 22 points on the road. Um, It's just tough. Baylor's not a team. I mean, they're not a good team as is, but definitely not a good team if you're going to be giving up giving the other team three defensive special teams touchdowns. That's just never going to work out. Um, But in general, you know, I was pretty happy with Baylor's performance, 13 points on the road against Kansas State, a couple of opportunities there to have a few more points as well at halftime. Um, That's actually a pretty good showing in my eyes offensively. Uh, The defense was pretty mediocre, though, Pretty, pretty not good, honestly. Yeah, no, it was a tough day for the defense, and I think I found a better way to, to kind of look at this moving forward that I'll use. But, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a really tough day for the, the defense, and uh, you had just gotten swarmed in the, uh, in the first half. So that is what it was, but uh, let's get into the second half now. Uh, you get the ball to start the third quarter, and you go th- uh, three and out, uh, and it's uh, you know one of those situations where – uh, you really needed, if this was going to be any kind of a hopeful sort of a deal, you're going to need to come out and like swing in in the second half, but uh, not able to do that. Uh, just a lot of incompletions after getting a big gain on first down. Um, Blake Shapen incomplete on first down, incomplete second down, incomplete third down, and you have to punt it away. K-State gets the ball back, and they go nine plays and 62 yards, and they kick a field goal, 33 yards by Chris Tennant, and it is now 38-13. to 13. Uh, early in the uh, second half. Yeah, I mean, not much to add here. Game's, yeah. game's over. Baylor need to score on that opening drive. It just, that the very end of the first half and the very beginning of the second half, Baylor really needed to make up some ground. And they had opportunities to, you know, the the not kicking the extra point, not kicking a field goal, or not converting on fourth down, not having a good drive there. It's just a tough way to, to kind of close out the quarter and start the third quarter, even though they'd been playing pretty good and it's going to continue right here. 
Yeah, uh, three plays, 72 yards. A Drake Dabney, a big 63-yard touchdown catch from Blake Shapin on a third down and one, one of the more exciting plays of the day. Uh, so, yeah, um, quick three-play, 72-yard drive. It's 38-19, and there's like, wait, wait a second. Is there some chance here? Probably not likely and definitely not after the next exchange. But, yeah, it was great to see Drake Dabney, another 100-yard game for him. Um, so, first time he's done that in a while, but – He's been uh, awesome. He's been a, he's been yeah. really good this year. He's been a bright spot and their most consistent receiving target all year long is, is safe to say with um you know Keetron Jackson obviously missing time uh, but even then when he was playing it was still Drake Dabney making most of the big catches. So yeah, he's been a, a huge bright spot for them this year. And uh, Monterey Baldwin has he had his moments too but just not consistently enough and so he, I think Dabney would be like your receiver of the year probably. Yeah, Baldwin in this game. Oof, well, we won't talk about him till later yeah, because I know, yeah. we're not going to talk about a catch from him until the very end of the game. It was pretty bad, and then they went for two again on this drive. So just leaving points out there right now. Yep. So uh, Drake this Dabney, one made sense though, by the way, because it would have cut it to thirty-eight twenty-one, seventeen-point game. Yeah. But, so Drake Dabney with the touchdown with a two-point conversion is no good. So it is thirty-eight to nineteen within Kansas State. Nine plays, seventy-three yards. Trayshawn Ward with a four-yard touchdown. They converted a fourth and eight on that drive. That would have gotten Baylor off the field. So, boom, touchdown. It's 45-19. to 19. Turn right around. Blake Shapin gets intercepted. 45-yard pick six to go along with the scoop and score fumble earlier in the game. And, boom, just like that. It was 38-19. Then it was uh, 45-19. And now it's 52-19. to 19. And this one is way over. Uh, both teams would exchange, you know, uh, drives basically Baylor turn it over on downs K-State turn it over on downs Baylor turned it over on downs they exchanged punts the next three drives there was a lot of just nothing there it stayed 52 to 19 for a while and then Blake Shapin a little bit later on with under five to go in the fourth quarter uh, throw to Josh Cameron he fumbles gets recovered by Kansas State they would turn that into a three play 38 yard touchdown drive to make it 59 to 19 so another turnover comes back to bite them here um, as that directly led to multiple touchdowns in this game Uh, so yeah 59 to 19 and then Baylor would close the game with a 10 play 77 yard drive uh, where you'd have some penalties coming into play to extend that drive converting a fourth and four on that drive Uh, and then eventually though on third and goal Blake Shapin to Monterey Baldwin, who we just mentioned, his first catch of the game with 20 seconds left to go. Uh, and it's in the end zone for the touchdown. So he gets a touchdown, but one catch, six yards, with 20 seconds remaining in the game. And uh, that was really just lipstick on a pig that made this look better because otherwise it was, what, 59 to uh, 19, a 40-point loss. Yeah. Instead, is uh, just a 34-point loss. Uh, because you're able to get the score there. And then Isaiah Hankins misses the extra point, which, uh, you know, I've kind of touched on that. I, I don't understand what's going on there in the kicking game uh, here since really since the accolades uh, about since three Cincinnati, weeks ago. The yeah. Cincinnati game, when they, he had his best performance. Yeah, yeah, it's been a little off ever since then. And so, yeah, you get the score there at the end of the game, which granted is meaningless, but then miss the extra point. It's just like, I, well, I don't know. It's, had to keep the scoregami intact. I guess so. So this is the first time a game has ever ended 59-25 to 25 in the history of college football. Oh, so making history, baby. He made history by missing that, that extra point. That's pretty cool. I will say that drive that you mentioned to make it 45-19 with that fourth and eight conversion, that was a really, like, take your soul type drive. Mm-hmm. That was a, hey, you're in our house. We're going to come in, and we're just going to 
put this game away. You got a little hope. Now we're going to take that away. The pick six was a terrible throw uh, by Shapin. Uh, you mentioned the fumble by Josh Cameron. That was kind of an exclamation point on what was a terrible day for the Baylor wide receivers. It just was dreadful. They were not in sync at all with Blake Shapin. Really was the tight ends and the running backs that did most of the damage. Um, and then a couple things late. Kansas State throwing the football in first and 10 up by four, up by what, 30, 33 points? Yeah. With yeah, 330 yeah. left in the game? Come on. Like, really? That, I hope somebody marks that down for his future reference if they ever have the opportunity to make that matter. Like, but. You're at the 28-yard line, and there's 330 left, and you're throwing the football in first down? It's not even third down where you're trying to like put the game away. They threw it on first down on a play action. That was pretty ridiculous. Um, and then a lot of people mentioned, oh, it's ridiculous. Blake Shapin's in the game. Okay, that's fine. But I think based on what we've seen this year, that offense needs a lot of work and they need all the reps they can get. So I wasn't exactly appalled by it. But I also understand kind of the reason why people would be upset with, you know, Blake Shapin going out there, potentially getting hurt at the end of the game. And then Monterey Baldwin, um, fun stat here, not very fun, actually. So that that catch that he had for a touchdown uh, was his first catch of the game, despite having, I believe, 10 targets in the mm. game. Just just completely a non-factor until the very end. He and Shapin just weren't on, weren't on the same key in this game, and unfortunately that was the story with all the wide receivers. Lots of drops, lots of, lots of missed opportunities in the past game. And then you look at the stats, and it's like Blake Shapin has 253 yards and four touchdowns, mm-hmm. um, but he also gave up two touchdowns with the pick six and the fumble return for a touchdown. So off and on game for him. Yeah, it really was, and uh, tough loss, 59-25. to 25. Sorry I was so scrambled there in the beginning, but uh, that's fitting for this game and kind of yeah. how it went, honestly. Um, but I, I've at least found a tool in the meantime that should make it a little bit clearer if they have, you know, and there is an opportunity they give up 59 points again. I can at least explain it a little bit better. But, yeah, they just got swarmed in that first quarter. Um, you know, 21-7, to 7, mistakes mounted. K-State obviously had some good drives, and then uh, by halftime, I mean, you were really drowning, and it was uh, all but elementary at that point. But in the second half, um, you know, still got even worse. Uh, you were outscored 17-6 to 6 there in the third quarter, so you gave up 21-14-17, and then that final frame, a 7-6. to 6. But, that, I mean, it was so over yeah. already at that point. So, yeah, anyways, 59-25. Ugly first half, ugly second half, ugly game, ugly result. And uh, now, Grayson, they're 3-7, and seven and a bowl game's completely off the table. Uh, you look at that, and you did mention, you know, Blake Shapin with the four touchdowns, but did have a couple of turnovers there. Uh, I guess Dominic Richardson had some nice moments, but, I mean, I really feel like we're kind of grasping at straws at this point uh, with even saying, you know, too much about guys just simply running for close to 100 yards. Yeah. Like, that's that's how lowly the running game has become. Is like, that's a bright spot, is running for, like, right. 89 yards. And with the sacks, they ended up with 85 yards on 2.4 yards per yeah. carry. It, it, it was not a good performance. They missed Keytron Jackson badly. Like, it's becoming so obvious. I, I mean, I, I know... You can say that Chapin was inaccurate at times. There were drops all over the place on this field. And I also think Keytron opens up things for Monterey. So they really desperately need him back this week, which I believe they will be getting him back. But uh, they, they need him badly to help kind of maintain a good passing game throughout an entire game. Yeah, Dave Aranda did say Keytron Jackson uh, should be back this week. So that is obviously good news. And uh, other names that could be t- potentially ret- potentially returning, um, just kind of here and there, like uh, – Devontae Tazino is one of those that he mentioned. Uh, also mentioned Bryson Washington. Um, 
who really could only play in one of these next two games to maintain his red shirt. So, um, you know, maybe that means he's coming back for the very last game. I don't know. But, but why are – I mean, I understand that you're bringing up a freshman. I, I think Bryson's going to be a great player. But, I, I mean, it's almost the end of the year. Can we just, like, experiment with giving Richard Reese the football instead of adding a fourth running back to the fold? Can, yeah. Just maybe? I, I don't know. I mean, I don't even know if what he sees anyways. I mean, I think he was just mentioning that he was coming back. But, yeah, I mean, I was just puzzled because there's two games left. He's already played in three. So, at best, he should only play in one game. So, it's really not that big of a deal. But, yeah, the Richard Reese thing remains totally puzzling. Um, and I know that it has to do with whatever it has to do with their style of offense or their offensive line or whatever. But, I mean, it's it's really weird to have him had the year that he had last year and to have such a little impact this year it's uh it's bizarre but they're not even like trying no, I know. to have him make an impact it's not even that he's not being great on the field which i understand i mean none of these running backs have been stellar but he's just not even getting opportunities and it's been a lot more dominic richardson and dawson pendergrass um especially dominic richardson i mean he's gotten mm-hmm. the ball a ton and then pendergrass has scored a lot he's been great in the red zone but yeah it's just weird this was a bad performance and I just, I, you know, it's really tough. You want to see this team at least kind of play better towards the end of the year to kind of find any reason to have positive um, thoughts going into this offseason. Um, but they haven't been able to show that. And you're expecting young guys to get better. You're expecting guys to continue to play hard for their coach. Um, but we're going to need to see that over these next two games because if they completely no-show the next two games, it might be a sign that the locker room is turning in a different direction. And if that happens... I don't know that you're going to have much of a choice when it comes to decisions this offseason. Randon, uh, Monday's uh, press conference did mention that um, he feels like they're all still bought in as far as the team goes. You know, it's a tough time for coaches, especially young families, because there's all that uncertainty and all the speculation. And so it's just kind of weird in the offices. People don't want to make eye contact with you because, you know, it's just they're uh, – there's just those bad feelings in the air of like what could happen and changes on the horizon and uh, uncertainty, all of that. But he did still say that, you know, they're working through that, but also they're um, very well aware of, you know, what losing means and how that can affect your roster. And he, he just flat out said that he's sure like some of their guys are being recruited right now. Like he just fully said that. And I mean, I know we all know that's true, but it's still just odd to hear it. And it's also just the reality of like, we are at the end of the year and that is basically what they have to start focusing on is playing defense, not on the field as much as they do off the field uh, for this roster and playing offense in a lot of ways as well. Like they've got signing day coming up. They've got uh, the portal opening up here pretty soon. You can best believe there's teams that are seeing them struggle that have recruited some of these guys that are in their DMs or whatever. And um, yeah, I don't even know where to begin with all of that or, or how they combat that or, or what all of that even looks like until we start to, I guess, hear, you know, guys, announcing that they're entering the portal and and we'll go from there but uh that's all that stuff's building up right now and it's it's right around the corner for them to have to deal with and with not making a bowl game I mean it's all about the offseason here in a couple (laughs) of weeks and and that's what they're ramping up for right now even though they've obviously still got a couple of games to play so it was all bad it's an ugly game uh Kansas State still you know in a very interesting mix as far as the Big 12 title race goes with a couple of weeks to go there's a lot of a lot of tiebreaker scenarios, um, but Baylor doesn't have to worry about any of that. They are not involved. And so now they turn their attention towards TCU. And, uh, well, Grayson, TCU, a team that's uh, had their own struggles this year, not a big grand follow-up to their national championship appearance run. 
Um, that was a great year last year. Everything seemingly went their way until the final couple of games when they lost late to Kansas State and lost the Big, lost the Big 12 title. Uh, they beat Michigan in the semis. Huge win. Uh, but then go to the national championship game and get just scorched by the Georgia Bulldogs. And then big offseason, um, make the change at OC uh, with uh, losing Garrett Riley, replace him with Kendall Bryles. So that'll be an interesting matchup coming up this weekend. And then retooled their roster through the transfer portal quite a bit. But now got Josh Hoover at quarterback. Chandler Morris is healthy again, but they've stuck with Hoover, even though Morris um, was a Baylor killer uh, a couple of years ago. But they seem to have something with Hoover, although he's still a young player. Got some playmakers as well. Um, but it's just been a struggle. They're not winning the close games. And, you know, just most recently here, I uh, had an opportunity to maybe knock down Texas, but uh, could not finish off uh, that upset bid and got off to too slow of a start to uh, make that happen. Uh, so uh, fresh off that loss, they're sitting in a situation where they're also just trying to make sure that they're in a bowl game when all is said and done. Now at 2-5, and five, um, uh, no, that's not right. They're not 2-5 two and, two and five in the conference is where they are. Um, so, yeah, they've got to win what, a, a couple of games here at the end, and um, that's easier said than done at this point. Yeah, and I mean, a lot of people are going to sit here and say Baylor's been way worse than TCU, and that's fine. They have been. Like, if you look at advanced metrics and all that, that's great. But at the end of the day, TCU is 4-6, and six, and Baylor is 3-7. and seven. Neither team's been good this year. Neither team has much to hang their hat on. Uh, TCU, I believe they've lost, what, uh, five of their last six games? I think, um, yeah, yeah, lost to West Virginia, Iowa State, a win over BYU, who's terrible on the road. I mean, they just crushed them. Then lost to Kansas State, Texas Tech, and Texas. I mean, they've just been losing nonstop um, since Josh Hoover really took over. They've been bad, which is kind of surprising to hear that Chandler Morris is healthy. I, I did not I did not realize that he was good to go because I'm surprised they're sticking with Hoover, who has eight interceptions. He's got an interception every single appearance so far this season for TCU. He's been a turnover machine, and it's been a huge problem for them. Uh, their run game has started to suffer over the last few weeks. Their defense is pretty mediocre, and honestly, um, during the back half here, the last three games against Kansas State, Texas Tech, and Texas, um, they've given up 587 yards, 428 yards, and 482 yards in the last three games. I mean, they're just getting scorched defensively, and their offense hasn't really been able to to do much to keep up either. Um, it, it's been a very disappointing year for them. Yeah, and I, Chandler Morse is not fully healthy, but there's been murmurs about him getting closer. So I guess Great. that's why they still stuck with Hoover. Great, watch him come back. Just yeah, for this I mean, game. I mean, there was a lot. Of, like it felt like last week that he was pretty much getting close to the, getting the green light, and I don't know if that ever got to be the case. It looks like they're still like not quite there yeah. with him. Um, which is why, in part, we've still seen Hoover. But, yeah, I mean, I guess, in theory, he could be close to coming back for this weekend <laughs> because he was on the doorstep of it, it appeared, last week. So, yeah, if if uh, they wanted to, that could be a move, potentially, if they wanted to throw a little curveball there. Yeah, give you some nightmares for Chandler Morse back out there after what happened a couple years ago. Um, that's certainly a possibility. But, yeah, Josh Hoover's been the guy um, now for the last few weeks. I mean, he had... Um, they should have won the Tech game in so many ways. There was a couple of bad interceptions there late. One was his fault. One was not his fault. But still, it cost them greatly in that game. Uh, when they had just gotten back the momentum, they threw a couple of really costly picks, and uh, Texas Tech made them pay. Um, but he's, you know, he's not. Um, He's not all bad. He's, he's capable of making some plays, and so he can definitely do some damage to this uh, this Baylor defense. But also Imani Bailey, 
uh, had nearly 100 yards last week. He's a very dangerous runner. Savion Williams had a huge game for them last week. Uh, 11 catches, 164 yards, and a touchdown. So you got to be aware of him. Jared Wiley, who we saw at Temple and has been at TCU now for forever, is another big target. Um, that And Baylor's not the best about covering tight ends. So there's just some of the names to probably get used to uh, that will most likely have a big impact this weekend. But, yeah, whether they roll with Hoover or Morris, uh, Hoover is capable of, of hurting you, but he's also a young quarterback that's capable of making mistakes. But, uh, yeah, and then defensively, I mean, it doesn't really matter what's lining up across in so many ways. I mean, at this point, it doesn't, but they do have their susceptibilities, and so I guess there's some things you could take advantage of. But I just – it's, you know, that's also banking on Baylor operating at a high level. And, and you know, outside of the first drive last week, that's been kind of few and far between. Right. I think the thing to just keep in mind is that when Baylor does run for 150 yards, they have a chance. Like, they're going to have to go in and run for 150 yards, and they have not done that very consistently at all throughout this season. But against a bad, the bad defenses they've played, they've been able to hit right around that number. So when you're looking at Cincinnati, or not Cincinnati, but Houston, UCF, um, Long Island, which is a different level of bad, but they've had some success on the ground. And so I kind of look at this game and see a path for them to at least be capable on the ground I don't think they're going to get completely shut down like I mentioned TCU they gave up 343 yards on the ground to Kansas State 146 to Tech 165 to Texas 215 to Iowa State 201 to West Virginia 158 to SMU I mean it's just bad it's just it's really bad what they've done uh, giving up yards on the ground so I expect Baylor to test that Go out, run the football, try to control time possession. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, it, it's ultimately going to come down to simply making plays. They're going to need to force some turnovers of Josh Hoover. Uh, they're going to need to be able to take care of the football themselves, maintain time possession, run the football. And then Blake Shapin's going to have to play a really good game if they're going to want to go on the road and actually get this win. So with uh, Baylor, we know that these are the final two games. There is nothing in doubt about that. TCU this week on the road, and then they will return home and play uh, West Virginia, but for TCU, they do have the chance still of a postseason. They need to beat Baylor, which they are a couple of touchdown favorites to do so. Uh, but then they also travel to Oklahoma to close out the year. So um, they have to win the Baylor. They have to win both games. But, um, yeah, that's still something that's on the line dangling for them. But even if they beat Baylor, that's still going to be a long shot to go beat Oklahoma. So we'll see. Um, but still, um, there there's an opportunity there. So, yeah, and, and I do want to mention this game is now officially being called the Blue Bonnet Battle in what is officially one of, the, get to that. one of the worst <laughs> names I've ever heard for a rivalry in college football. It should be the rivalry. That's the one that everyone has gotten used to, but the Blue Bonnet Battle, terrible. Yes, we got the, the email just kind of out of nowhere about there being this press conference, and I know it's been the big joke. I have not been on social media much at all this year in general. Um, it's just – it's. I don't know. It's just not as much a part of my routine. Um, and I just, I, Twitter's just not as fun anymore. I, I don't know yeah. what it is. I think if they were winning, maybe I'd be on there a little bit more. But that that also adds to it. It's like, uh, what, what's the <laughs> point? But you started to see that circulating about this logo being leaked. And then there was, like, what's going on here? And then there's this email. And then there's a big announcement. And you're like, well, surely that's not that. Oh, wait, is that what that is? And then, yes, it was, in fact, uh uh, correct. The leak, uh, the blue bonnet battle was a real thing, and it was uh, what was in the cards, and it was what was unveiled on uh, Monday uh, via the Zoom link, and then they had the uh, 
you know, the big debut of not only the name, but the trophy as well, which mm-hmm. people have thoughts on both, uh, very strong thoughts. And, yeah, so uh, I don't know where all this came from, but it's the Blue Bonnet battle now and uh, not the rivalry, but I think it's been pretty unanimous that people feel pretty strongly that that is not the best change and it doesn't seem to have a whole lot of traction and it'll be interesting to see uh, how much longevity this idea, this trophy, this name, all of it has in comparison to what has worked for so very long, which was the revivalry. I get putting something a little bit more official on it, but uh, Blue Bonnet Battle just feels very low effort. I mean, it really does feel very, like, like what's the most generic Texas-ish thing that we can name this? Blue Bonnet Battle. And, and the way it okay. was described was just even worse. Yeah, it was I like, just, oh, yeah, you know, you drive down 35, and in the middle of the highway, you see Blue Bonnets. I'm like... Dude, seriously? And, yeah. and talking about, oh, in Texas, you know, the blue bonnet means so much. I'm like, okay, it's state flower. That's cool. And even Dave Aranda was like, you know, when you— Dave Aranda uh, was cracking jokes on yeah, it. Yeah, he like, was like, when you associate it with football, uh, it's a little little weird, which is where I stand. I think it's a terrible name. It is It is so just—has nothing to do with football. It doesn't make sense at all. Very disappointed in it. And apparently, this just came down to what the two student organizations came up with. It wasn't even like up to the highest parts of the schools. It was literally Baylor's, you know, whoever the student body president is and TCU student body president, those guys coming together, making this decision and then having the Zoom call with Sonny Dykes, uh, Mac Rhodes, Dave Aranda, all on this call as they're explaining it. It was uh, was pretty bad. It was just very fitting for this year, honestly. I mean, it was very (laughs) fitting of just like, yeah, this makes sense too. Let's throw this on the 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 pile here. But yeah, I don't I don't know. It was just very out of nowhere. Um, It felt very much like a school project of like, Mm -hmm. what can we do for the semester? Let's come up with a new name for the rivalry and a trophy. And that's what it felt like. It felt like a project for the semester. And then everybody just somehow went along with it, and to the point of where it's now an official thing. And I don't know. It's just. uh, not nearly as cool as it should be. The Revivalry is a much better name. It didn't need uh, all of this other stuff. I mean, a trophy, sure. Like, I know, especially in the new Big 12, you want to kind of make things like this a little more official mm-hmm. and all of that. But I don't like it's just it's like there was no checks and balances along the way. No. And all of a sudden, it's just like we somehow arrived at this point where we're all just going through with it and just signing off yeah. on it. And. Dave Aranda's cracking jokes about, like, yeah, you drive up down 35 and you see blue bonnets, and you know he's trying not to laugh. And then and it, and then it really, and this is the, the best example I could use to describe how this has, uh, you know, gone off. It's always a good sign when everybody immediately starts pointing the finger afterwards on whose fault it was. Right. And like, you'd be like, well, I heard it was the TCU students that were really pushing this thing. Well, I heard it was the Baylor students that were really the ideas behind this, and they were the, they made the trophy in Waco, and it's all there. And so, like, so both sides are like, no, it was you that came up with yeah. this. It's like, no, you came up with this. And it's like, so neither one wants to claim it. No. And it's Nobody thinks unanimous. it's a good idea. Yeah. No one likes it. It's so unanimous. What are we doing here? <laughs> I don't know. And everybody's just signing off on it? And we made a trophy? Someone someone just decided, hey, we're just going to make a trophy that looks awful. It's got like, <laughs> I, I mean, it's literally this big circle inside a, a trophy holder. I mean, it looks, it was it was really bad. It was tough to watch, honestly. Tough to watch the Zoom and, and just hear that explanation. And everybody's just gritting through uncomfortable smiles. Yeah. <laughs> just playing along. Like We're just all just playing along with it. I don't know. It's it's a, uh, an interesting pivot from the revivalry that I haven't seen really one positive comment on in None. the twenty four hours since. And uh, apparently that was TCU's fault because it's too religious, is what 
is what I'd heard. Yeah, but again, that goes back to each other. everybody's pointing fingers because yeah. nobody wants to take the culpability <laughs> for this even being a thing now. And it's like, well, somehow everybody agreed on it, and both sides were a part of this. But, yeah, TC wants to say it was Baylor's fault. Baylor wants to say it was TCU students. And, uh, and yeah, nobody uh, seems to want to be like, yeah, I'm the one that came up with this. But, like, but in all seriousness, blue ball battle, that that just that's very low effort. Low I effort. I mean, very low effort. Can we just anything better? There could be so many things that would be better, but we're just gonna we're just gonna hey go with it. I'm I'm supposed to sit here and call this game the blue bonnet battle. That's not happening. Yeah, and I mean, if there is some truth to, and again, who knows what's true? Because again, everybody's just trying to pass the buck uh, uh, as far as why this all came to be. But if there is any semblance of truth to like TCU not wanting to have any religious affiliation, then just take the C out of your name at this yeah. point. I mean, honestly, if it's if it's to that point where we can't have a rivalry name that has any sort of connotation about religion, so I don't know if that's true or not. Um, but I did definitely see that comment made, and if it is, then yeah, just just change your entire school name and let's just be done with yeah. the whole charade Texas to begin Central with. University. Yeah, so. or, yeah, yeah. I mean, let's just pivot entirely from it because uh, look how much damage it's doing to the point where you got to change a harmless, much better suited rivalry name now. Right, and now you got to look at it and you're like, oh, TCU versus Baylor's the Blue Bonnet battle. What's uh, Iowa State, K-State, oh, Farmageddon? That's yeah. really cool. And we got to sit here with this. I mean, it, it was, yeah, like I said, very disappointed in that. Low effort um, and not great for a rivalry that is, according to Mac Rhodes, the longest Texas rivalry uh, in the state, the most games played. Which I was, it just passed Texas and Texas A and M, which I was a little surprised by. Yeah, no, there's some longstanding history, uh, and it was not history that K State or Iowa State fans seem to comprehend, which is understandable. Yeah. We, we don't care about Farmageddon in most cases here, but yeah, like they even use the uh, the just the poor naming of the rivalry to be like, you got rid of Farmageddon for the Blue Bonnet battle, like not. Yeah. I mean, rivalry wise, <laughs> though, like I'd yeah, Baylor TCU has every right to be the one that they maintain well, versus can- Farmageddon, yeah, but Kansas yeah, State chose. Kansas. I mean, right. they couldn't have two. I mean, so it is what it is. They chose to play the team in state instead of you. I mean, yeah. that, that's the way it went. Yeah, so there was complaining about that, but it's like, yeah, the name doesn't really have anything to do with it, but it doesn't help the, the argument either. When yeah. you're like, you know, it's just kind of like, wait, what? Farmageddon <laughs> versus the Blue Bonnet battle. So I don't know. that. I don't know what the, the future long-lasting power of that name will be, but that was something this week and just kind of – was very fitting in so many ways. Just football's a mess right now. Yeah. <laughs> Everything football touches is kind of a mess. I really hope I don't see a graphic on Saturday that says Blue Bonnet Battle. Oh, I'm going sure we this. will. I, I mean, I hope not. I hope it's too recent that they don't put it on there. I'm really hopeful because it's on ESPN Plus, right? Again, yeah, yeah, another one. They another have uh, they have become an ESPN Plus uh, team, and that and you know that's also the rivalry or whatever. Uh, that game being an ESPN Plus game really speaks to just where this team is, but also where TCU is as well. I mean, if they were really good, then this would maybe be on a different network. But, yeah, it's been a string now of ESPN Plus games. And so that's something when you kind of take the bigger picture into consideration, you have to you know, be mindful of that. And that's not a good trajectory or a path to be on is not being on you know network TV all, all very much at all uh, this season because of, of how much of a slide you've been on. So... Just, yeah, everything's crazy. Uh, two games to go. TCU this weekend, 14 touchdown under – or 14 point – wow. 14 point underdogs <laughs> 14 touchdown. Uh, as it stands right now. Um, but we'll see on Saturday how all that unfolds, and we'll answer some more questions about that coming up. But let's pivot to basketball real quick. Um, and the fact that that's now uh, in full swing, and you've got the Baylor men uh, right now at 3-0 and uh, overall. As uh, last Tuesday, uh, we – 
previewed a little bit, but got the win over Auburn, 88-82 to in South Dakota at Sanford Pentagon. Turned around on Thursday, beat John Brown, 96-70. to And then on Sunday, uh, 77-62 over Gardner-Webb. So uh, there are the Bears uh, on the men's side of things through the first three games and uh, some hard-fought games here in these first three contests. But later on tonight, uh, Tuesday night, as we record this, uh, Kansas City coming up at the Farrell Center, and that will be a late tip-off, a 9 o'clock tip-off Central Time. So be up a little bit late for the Bears trying to move to 4-0, which they likely should. And then uh, we'll have a little bit of a break until next week. But uh, your thoughts on the 3-0 start in uh, Kansas City later tonight? Yeah, it hasn't been very impressive, honestly. I mean, the Auburn game was impressive, but the other two games were just kind of – I mean, I don't want to say they were just coasting – but it kind of felt like that, right? It kind of felt like they weren't playing with the same kind of urgency that they showed in the Auburn game. Uh, I get it with John Brown. They were playing quick turnaround after playing a very emotional first game of the year. Uh, But then they showed up against Gardner-Webb and just didn't play very well. There wasn't a good flow, uh, I felt like. And obviously, they didn't hit a three-pointer all game, which is the first time in years that they haven't hit one. I I don't remember the exact stat, but it had been a really, really long time. Um, So, yeah, they got to get back on track. They got to get back to playing really good basketball. And the thing of it is, I mean, they play – they're going to play a really, really tough schedule, you know, the rest of this non-conference slate. So they're going to have to kind of get back on track before that starts. They play Kansas City this week, who – Quick note about them, they played uh, St. Mary's, which is a school in San Antonio, a small school, and they blew them out. Outside of that, I mean, it's been – it's been really, they haven't played anybody. So I expect Baylor to win this one pretty easily um, and then get ready for uh, some tough battles next next week as they got Oregon State and then likely Florida, I believe, in that tournament. It's probably how that's going to play out for them. But, yeah, they got some stuff to work on, I would say. Yeah, it's uh, early in the season. They're still unscathed uh, record-wise, so that's good. Um, but, yeah, they got some bigger names coming up here uh, that will, you know, test that and test them and, um it's just a lot of new to take in with this basketball team and kind of absorb. So they're going to be working through some things, but still very bright outlook on the season and just uh, going to be a matter of how it all comes together on a daily and, you know, nightly basis. But, um, yeah, 3-0 and is, you know, you'll take that uh, no matter how ugly it is, but uh, definitely got to sharpen up some things. Yeah, and I think, you know, just looking at the new guys, you know, Ray J. Dennis averaging five turnovers a game, that's – that's got to change. That's way too many turnovers. That That's not something that you want to see. I will say, you know, Eve Macy has been really, really good. The freshman, as has Jacoby Walter. Langston Love getting things on track has been awesome off the bench for them. Jaden Nunn at times. But the turnovers are an area that I'm looking at. And then defensively, I still have some question marks with their perimeter defense. But we'll see. We'll see how things play out. They're going to get uh, pushed definitely in the next few games in the next you know really month they're really going to have some tough tests but we'll get to know more about them it might just be kind of a rough patch these last two games so kansas city coming up tonight and then a little bit of a break until next wednesday but we'll preview the the next round of action when we get there meanwhile the baylor women just uh one game in, in the book so far uh last monday or just uh uh, yeah, last Monday, their only game so far, and uh, they beat Southern 85-53 to to move to 1-0. So now, later on tonight, uh, their second game, but a big game, number four Utah uh, upcoming at the Farrell Center. So that will be a big one for Nikki Collin and uh, the Baylor women 
That'll be over on ESPN Plus starting at 6.30. But, yeah, number four, Utah. They'll turn around and host Harvard on Sunday as well. So that's what's in store for them this week. Yeah, excited for this matchup against Utah. I think we're going to learn a lot about this Baylor team. I know when Nikki Collin was on with uh, Sikkim 365 Radio, she kind of mentioned that, you know, this is a team that's going to get better as the season goes on. Well, if you're being the number four team in the country, you're you're off to a pretty good start, you know, with becoming the team that you ultimately want to be. Um yeah, I'm curious how they do here. Utah's had a nice start to the season. They've looked pretty dominant in their two games. So I'm curious how Baylor kind of deals with a, a Utah team that's been really good the last few years. So there you go. There's where basketball is. Some upcoming contests early in the season. Uh, but, you know, working through some things and sharpening, uh, I guess, iron sharp, sharpens iron. And uh, we'll see where this journey takes us. But getting a kick started is a lot of fun, especially in light of football season and the struggles there. you got much higher hopes for uh, both basketball squads that they'll find some success and, and have fun seasons. So uh, let's get in the mailbag here. Yeah, I think that we've covered everything. Uh, Lomer, super fan, assuming the same staff is back next year. What position group, which is currently a weakness, do you have the most confidence in correcting this offseason? Offensive line and defensive front seven seems like the biggest weakness. Um. Yeah, I mean, I would – think that you know I would think that it would be the defensive line would be the area that I have the most confidence in them fixing um, just because they have a lot of young talent guys who they just need to grow and develop I think you can find some defense linemen in the portal you'll get Jackie Marshall back you'll have healthy nose tackles with Rel Boykins and Trey Emery I just see a lot of signs there that should tell me that they'll be better up front on the defensive side the offensive line I just I, I they're so bad this year. It's like, how do they go from being this bad to being, you know, really good? I just, I don't know that I see the pieces quite yet. They would need a lot of development and a lot of transfers, honestly, to come in and solidify that. That is clear in a way their number one problem. I yes. mean, it is not even close in my opinion. I mean, I know you can't stop the run. You can't get pressure on the quarterback. But, like, you can't do anything on offense that you want to do. No. And, I mean, it just immediately right out of the gates, it's like, are they going to be able to run the football? No, okay. Uh, well, just going to pass it four, 35 times a day, I guess. Um, and, you know, you see at least be able to line up and be like, we're going to go for it on fourth and two. And you know what? We're going to get it. And um, I know it's a young offensive line. There's a lot of inexperience, but they just simply cannot. Like, if, if this is going to come back basically intact, you better get, like, five transfers on the offensive yeah. line alone. I mean, you cannot you can't try run and this back. run this back. No. I mean, it's – it's been the biggest culprit to to every issue on offense, mm-hmm. um, and it all starts there. and And that's been the biggest thing that you you know you can say what you want. Wide receivers getting open. Well, if there's not time to get it to them, it doesn't matter, you know. And uh, Richard Reese, this and that. Well, if there's nothing to run for or run yeah. to, it doesn't if matter. You can't run the ball. You can't yeah. protect your so, quarterback. Like, like, everything like, swirls back to yeah. to the offensive line. So. Um, yeah, uh, the most confidence in the defensive line because I think you can make the quicker impact right there. Um, but they are both big weaknesses for sure, and uh, offensive line has the has the edge there. So that would be very high on the to do list. Scotty be the Baylor King. Why is TCU's offense so inconsistent? I, they're relying on a quarterback to throw the ball a ton. Their run game's been so up and down this year. They're turning the ball over a lot. I just think in general they just. That's why they're inconsistent. It's kind of uh, in line with what we've seen from Kendall Browse, um, truthfully, throughout his career, honestly. You looked at Arkansas uh, and other places. At times, they were really good, looked dominant, took advantage of matchups. But then at times, it was like, what are you doing? What are you calling? Can't run the ball. Now you're throwing it all over the parking lot, throwing interceptions, not giving yourself a chance, not controlling time of possession, and it really can cost you. 
Yeah, I will say their offensive line is not nearly as good as it was last year when they were super just like talented everywhere you looked. So that's not as good. Um, obviously, no the quarterback play is not as good. You had the injury to Morris, so you're throwing Hoover into the fire. He's a young guy with not a lot of experience, and so he's got some flashes of being really good, and then he's got like really bad interceptions or turnovers in general that plagued that team. And, you know, Kendall gets a lot of flack, and I'm not saying he's not deserving of some of it, but like in the Texas Tech game, it's like, dude, they're, they're in scoring position, and Josh Hoover, like the receiver breaks off the route and doesn't go for it, and mm-hmm. so it's a pick. And it's like, that's not really Kendall Bryles' fault. No. But there are moments that are very much like, what are you doing? And it is kind of what you described. So it's a, just a mixture of all those things that we mentioned. Um, you know, not as much talent, inexperience, play calling, bad decision-making, turnovers. It all makes for a, a stew on offense that, um, you know, makes it uh, inconsistent. So, yeah, that's where they find themselves. Who do you think leads the team in scoring for Baylor women's basketball in a top 25 showdown against Utah? Ooh, uh, I'm going to go with... Sarah Andrews. Yeah, that seems like as safe a bet as any, right? Uh, Sarah Andrews seems like a safe pick. Uh, I'll go Drayana Edwards. Uh, keep it keep it going from the last game. Um, and uh, the nice start there against Southern. So how about that? We'll go a couple of different options there. Uh, let's see. Elsewhere. <laughs> the question was just why. Um, from Barrel of 89. Uh, why? I, I don't have an answer to why. I mean... Yeah, I'd, it's been a I bad year. Is that what he's referring to? I guess to? so. I yeah, why? Why this pain? <laughs> why this? I don't, I don't know. Why yeah. everything? We're, I mean, everybody's wondering the same thing of why. Why is it where it is right now? I guess the the program, a um, lot of different reasons why, but the, the solution's the biggest key now is finding out what the solution to all that is. Overall, Minion, do you all think the offseason will look much different if uh, a CDA, Aranda stays, or if a new coach comes in, seems like we will need to focus on retaining players, hitting the portal hard, and instil- instilling a new offense uh, either way. Thanks for all y'all do. Yeah, I mean, the offseason will look very different if they bring in a new coach or if they keep Dave Aranda. Yes, the focus will somewhat be the same, but if a new coach comes in, he's going to clean house, I would think, and also bring in some of his players, I would bet. Um, if Dave Aranda stays, I think it's pretty much the focus that you just said. Both would have to hit the transfer portal. Both would be probably installing a new offense because it seems like even if Dave Aranda does stay, they're going to have to make a shift somewhere. It's probably going to be on the offensive side. Um, so, yeah, I think in general you're right, but I do think there will be some differences with the new coach and especially on the recruiting side of things. Yeah, and I guess we'll cross that bridge when we get there officially. But, uh, I, you know, I'm still not banking on that being the case, although, like, after Saturday, it does feel like at least the percentage increases a little bit. It just yeah. feels like it has to increase. Now, how high that percentage is, I really have no idea. Um, I just think the whole situation sucks. This is the, the downside to the big business that is college athletics and especially college football, um, especially this time of year. But regardless um, of whatever scenario they're under uh, that you lay out there, whether um, you know it's year number what five they're rolling into mm-hmm. or it's a, a brand new year one for somebody uh yeah there's going to be major changes in a lot of what you mentioned whoever's hitting the portal hard that's that one part is for dadgum sure and this roster will get a little bit of a shake up either way as well whether intentionally or not um and yeah a new offense probably i mean 
I don't know. Like, unless you can prove that you can run the football sometime, yeah. uh, you're going to have to do something there. You're going to have to pivot in some kind of a way there and, and, and change things. Useless Kim degree is the most object in the most objective way possible. Can you please make the arguments for or against the difference maker in the portal choosing Baylor? Like most of us here, I want to see Baylor succeed, but I can't see any avenue where the staff or university has the appeal to bring in legitimate dudes from the portal. When I take my green and gold glasses off, I see a lot of the same looking forward to the offseason and next year. Yeah, I don't I don't know that I agree with that. I mean, Baylor's brought in some pretty good transfers. I mean, Apu was like I mean, everyone in the country wanted Apu and they were able to land him. Keytron Jackson, I do think, is a difference maker. I know this year hasn't looked crazy, but he's had he's had chances. I think the biggest thing for me is, you know, you have an opportunity to play on a power five level. That matters to a lot of guys, especially guys who either aren't playing at their current university in the power five or group of five guys. Like I mean, schools all over the country are getting guys that come in and play well for them. Um, I also think there, you know, whether people want to agree with this, there is a culture at Baylor that some kids really like. And, you know, because of that, you're able to land guys who love that culture, love the staff, um, love what they're building. Playing time is the biggest thing. You're going to get an opportunity to play. If they're going to bring in a transfer, you're most likely playing. Um, So, I mean, their argument is the same as most schools, uh, I mean, that are hitting the transfer portal. So Baylor won't have that big of an issue landing transfer portal guys who can come in and impact them. The level of transfer portal guys is going to be a little bit different. You're probably only going going to be able to land a couple real, like, high-end, all-conference type guys because of the NIL situation. But that's the same as pretty much every school in the Big 12. So, again, they're not playing at a disadvantage in my eyes uh, when it comes to the Big 12 and NIL and the transfer portal. Yeah, I mean, playing time is a powerful weapon and, uh, you know, it can be as attractive to some players as anything else um, because that's part of why they're in the portal, if not the reason why they're in the portal is to play. So, I mean, that is attractive even if your team's having struggles and never underestimate a young person's belief with the right group of people around them to feel like they can be the ones that turn it around and they're the ones that instill the glory and, you know, all of that. So, um, I get the negativity there, but, I mean, they were never really in the running for the blue chip, blue chip, like top top transfer guys, like the top 25 list types of guys. Maybe yeah. flirting with that, but that was never really in the cards, and it, that's definitely off the table, as you said. But they can still get a Keytron Jackson or guys along that. I mean, you know, they completely revamped an offensive line through the transfer portal. Right. They completely revamped a defense through the transfer portal. They've done plenty of things that have helped their teams perform at the level they need to to be able to win a Big 12 championship. Dia Del Ugo, why is uh, responding to Scotty about why is TCU's offense so inconsistent because they haven't played Baylor yet? But uh, yes, uh, very good, uh, Duggo. That's uh, that's fair. Um, we'll see this weekend uh, how consistent uh, TCU's offense with Kendall Bryles in the lead. Uh, that's subplot. It almost seems it gets lost though, or else because we just don't even add more fuel to the fire. But that almost yeah. gets lost in their own issues. That you're not even so worried about the other stuff uh, that otherwise might be a bigger deal. Uh, and then Brick Park will close us out here with Keetron Jackson expected back for the TCU game. Does Armani Winfield go back on the shelf? It's clear that Winfield needs more reps if he's to become the player many believed he would be. Thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think he's going to be an afterthought now. I mean, he might get some reps, but I mean, the, if Keetron's healthy, Keetron needs to be on the field. I mean, Keetron's one of their best offense players, and he's shown that even though it's been inconsistent at times. Uh, yeah, he's going to be on the field, and Armani's going to be a backup wide receiver again because uh, he does need more time. He's shown some things, but it, it's clear that he's not hes not quite there yet, I don't think. Yeah, it's uh, hopefully a process that starts to ramp up a little bit more, though. I mean, he is getting a little bit more time here, but, you know, 
by next year, you'd really hope, like, yeah. all right, now at this point, and then that's kind of the case for, like, this entire team is this year you're taking your lumps a little bit. You are younger. Some of that's, you know, explainable. Some of that's not necessarily when you want to hear from, like, our point of view or the fans' point of view, right. but it is the reality of, like, no, you do have to, like, take your lumps, and that's part of the deal. Like, Jalen Petrie wasn't a, you know, a, a future NFL player his freshman and sophomore years, no. you know. Um and, and that's the case for a lot of these guys. So that is part of it, as tough of a pill as that is to swallow. And there's a lot of losing going on. It makes that, you know, something you're not nearly as patient for. Um, but it is part of the deal. However, all these young guys, like, next year, they need to, like, really see some return on investment from a, from a number of players. And, and you would think Armani Winfield is definitely a part of that group. And, and whoever's in control of that, it's, it's, it would appear it's going to be Dave Aranda. But, you know, you go get blown out by 40 like you did against Kansas State by TCU, then that's going to make everything a little bit more yeah. tough to, to deal with. Um, and then, you know, we'll just see how these next couple of games go. I think that's going to have as much say as, in anything as anything else. Um, if there is a, a scale to tip, that will tip it one way or the other. I think so as well. This weekend's a big one. And, I mean, Dave Randa mentioned the Houston game basically specifically because he said we needed to win the one a couple weeks ago, yeah. didn't he? pretty much mentioned it right on point, which was interesting. And so, yeah, I mean, you can't go out and just get crushed two more times. I think if you do, it's pretty clear that your team has probably mailed it in. And then I I don't see how you don't make a change. To be honest, I I would start to really be saying I don't understand how you couldn't. Right now, I still lean towards they're probably going to keep him based on what I've heard. But it's it's getting very interesting as the season's coming to an end. Yep, it is. So we have a lot in store to unpack, even though there will not be a bowl game to do uh, all that with. Uh, We're not going to be looking forward to the Armed Forces Bowl. I'm not going to miss out on the memories of last year all that much. I'll be honest with you. That was a whole hell of a day. That was just an adventure. I don't know how else to put it. Uh, but that that's not a great memory, so I'm not really going to be too bummed about that. But, man, going to bowl games is fun, and that's what you strive for as a program. So that is a, still a bummer, even if it's probably the best thing for them at this point in time. But it is a catch-22 because all these young guys don't get bowl reps and don't get bowl right. practices, and that's really what you could you could stand to use. So, anyways, these next couple of weeks are going to be very interesting. And basketball starting up now as well, so we got a lot in store even though the football season's starting to wind down a little bit. Grayson, anything before we uh, head on out here? Let's uh, let's do one prediction for Baylor-TCU. Let's okay. just get those in before we leave um, for the day. So, actually, also the line for this game has dropped. Um, okay. So, I'll get to that in a second. So, uh, 2.30 p.m. on ESPN+. Plus, Baylor travels to TCU to take on the Horned Frogs in Fort Worth. TCU is now a 13-point favorite. The over-under is 58.5. When I looked at this earlier this morning, it was 14. So, it's come down a whole point as we're getting upset baby time it would be an upset i mean 13 points that's a that's a big dog yeah um i'm taking tcu uh in this game and i think that uh they've had the number here lately um and that's you know if it was a close contest that's probably what would tip me in their favor but the fact that um i think just in general the eye test the talent test the home field the way this season has gone just what we've seen uh you add in their dominance in this rivalry and it's just really hard for me to come up with a scenario where Baylor rolls into Fort Worth and wins this game there's just not a lot working in their favor uh, either right currently or lately recent history so yeah I mean at some point that will end but there's just not anything right now that leads me to believe that it's going to end you know this Saturday out in Fort Worth so yeah I'm taking the Horn Frogs um, not a blowout win I think it'll be a competitive game but I do think they win this game do they cover 
thirteen. Uh, I don't. Is I don't feel strongly close? about that. Yeah. Uh, I think it could be a close game. I, mm-hmm. I think it could be. I don't think it's going to be like K State. And if it is, then I think that's when you really get into like, whoa, what's going on here? Yeah. Uh, no, I, I'm expecting a closer game. So I'll say no. They don't cover. But you know, I'm not Mister Vegas by any means. But I'll, I'll, they'll win by like yeah, thirteen or less. Okay. Um. Yeah, I think that TCU is going to win this football game. Um. But I do have a sneaky suspicion that Baylor's actually going to play pretty well in this game, and not because they're good, but more so because I think TCU's going to play pretty bad. Um, TCU's coming off of a game that they tried to come back late in against Texas. Seemed like they put a lot of effort into that game, especially in the second half. I think they might have a little bit of a hangover here. I think Baylor might come in and play hard, at least, and push TCU a little bit. Um, But in general, I I think the Horned Frogs just have too much talent. Um, What they do well, airing it out, um, has exposed Baylor at times this year when you look at the Texas State game, the Texas game, the Texas Tech game, uh, and then the Houston game even. So I I think that Josh Hoover will have some success, but Baylor will keep it close. I think this is going to be like a four-point game, maybe a seven-point game. So something like uh, 30 to 23 is kind of what I'm expecting somewhere along those lines. Yeah, um, that seems like it'd be about where I'm, I'm expecting this game to be. So, yeah. yeah, anything outside of that, wildly outside of that, then, uh, man, the heat really, really gets turned up. But it already seems pretty hot right now. So yeah. I'm expecting a good effort. I think everybody understands the importance here, and um, we should see – uh, you know, a good effort on Saturday. But, uh, all right, anything before we go here? No, just be sure to check out the premium side of things. Of course, um, we got recruiting coming up, signing days in a little bit over a month. Um, so keep an eye on that. That's going to be really interesting if Baylor does end up making a coaching change. A lot to cover there. Uh, but outside of that, be sure to check out 365 Radio every day from 3 to 6, Monday through Friday. Yep, uh, we'll be there talking about um, – all the happenings uh, going on, there's going to be a lot, obviously, with Baylor football coming up one way or the other. Uh, just with the portal, with the signing day, all that in-store basketball season underway. NFL, the Big 12 race, which is still as wild as ever, still with a couple weeks to go. We'll be talking on all that uh, three to six, as you mentioned. And we'll be back here next Tuesday at 11.15 on the Baylor Athletics on Sikkim 365 YouTube page. Again, please hit like and subscribe if you will. We talking post TCU and then ramping up for the final preview of the year, uh, West Virginia. My my, how football season has dragged on and yet flown by all at the same time somehow. But thanks to Garrett Ross behind the scenes, thanks to Grayson Grunhafer. I'm Craig Smoke. Until next time, this has been the Bearcast on SickEm365.com.